The subject that we'll be dealing with today is familiar to everyone in this congregation, but it might be something new to those who are who will be listening later on on the podcast. I remember as a young Jewish boy, for the very first time, after coming to know Messiah and reading the book of John, which in the Hebrew is Yohanan, and reading that portion where it says where Yeshua, in that translation it says Jesus is walking in Solomon, Shlomo's colonnade, and it's during the time of the Feast of Dedication. And I read that verse, and I read it over and over again, because you know what? Something there was familiar, but I just couldn't put my finger on it. Then after reading it one more time, it's like the Ruach HaKodesh opened my eyes. I knew what the Feast of Dedication was. That was Hanukkah. And that allowed me to identify even more with my Messiah than ever before. Coming to that realization. And so that's why it's very, very important for us to be familiar with God's word. Because there are times when you've read God's word time and time again. Then all of a sudden it's like the veil is removed from your eyes or in a very Americanized vernacular, we'd say, I was just hit between the eyes. And I fully understand what was going on there. So let us get familiar with Hanukkah again by looking at a synopsis of the historical events behind it. Hanukkah is called the Feast of Dedication. The time is 168 before the Common Era. Where is the place? But Modin is a village northwest of Jerusalem. The people, Matthias, a Hasumenian priest in the Temple of Appeals. He was a royal officer with soldiers who were sent from Antiochus, Epiphanes. In Israel, they, they pronounce his name as Antiochus or Antiochus. It's amazing if you're from different parts of the world, you'll pronounce the name differently as you transliterate it into the English language. So now what was the situation? Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus the oppressor, the withstander. Epiphanes was God manifest. See, that's a complete reversal of what the word of God says. It says he created man and woman in what? In his image and likeness. But what is this gentleman claiming to be? He's claiming to be actually Zeus being manifest in his human flesh. The complete opposite. And there was a lot about this new Greek culture that was being introduced to the Jewish people that struck against everything that God had taught them. So going forward here, he was a vile, ungodly, power-hungry ruler of Syria. 
He was a Greek. He was one of uh, Alexander the Great's four generals. Alexander the Great died suddenly. He was in his early 30s. And so, of the known world at that time, it was divided between these four generals. And this one was given the parcel of land which was present-day Syria. It included other areas there too. So going forward here, he was a type of anti-Messiah. For those of you that have a different translation of Bible, it's, he's called, he's a type of the Antichrist. And where is this spoken of? In, in both the book of Daniel and also in the book of Matthew. Antichus was commanded that all his people, people now under his authority become Hellenized. What does Hellenized mean? That you're going to hell? No. It means to be Greek in speech and customs, religion and thought. He felt this would constitute his control over the people in his kingdom. He seriously underestimated the Jewish people and their unwillingness to serve false gods. Antiochus tried to wipe out the Jewish religion. He forbade any Jew to worship the God of Israel, to keep the Sabbath, to keep kosher, or even to circumcise his son on the eighth day. He forced Jewish brides. And some of us have seen probably a movie called Braveheart. And you may be wondering, how did, how did they, they, they portray the English in that, that film as being very, very evil? I think that the writers of Braveheart borrowed from what happened to the Jewish people. Let me share this with you now. He forced Jewish brides to spend their wedding night with one of his officers, thus defiling them and intending to eventually erase our identity as Jewish people, as a unique people. He sent his soldiers all over Israel to force these edicts. Remember that scene there? where we see Mel Gibson there and his wife that was, was, was secretly married to him at night because he had been to another wedding where a British officer, right after that bride said her vows, she was taken by that British officer and taken away to spend that evening with a British officer because what was Longshank's desire to do, the King of England at that time, was to breed all the Scots out of Scotland so he could take them over. And I remember watching that film for the very, very first time. And you just feel for Mel Gibson because there is his bride that, that, that is then later arrested and then she's put to death. And people can commiserate with that. So the atrocities that had been done to Israel were done to other nations also. So going forward here. Throughout the land of Israel, many of the people sadly obeyed for fear of the gruesome death penalty. When the troops came to Modin, they met their match in Matthias and his son. When Matthias was ordered to sacrifice what? A pig to Zeus, the chief of the all Greek gods, and to eat its meat and to repute it repudiate his faith in God, the God of Israel. He refused and he rose up and he killed the soldier for ordering him to commit blasphemy. 
Immediately his sons joined with him and they slew the other soldiers. They started a revolution and through God's supernatural intervention, a small band of guerrilla warriors fought bravely for three years and overthrew a numerically greater forces of Antiochus. It said of one of the battles there, there were uh, 3,000 Israelis that were in a small, narrow mountain pass, and they were faced up to uh, 27,000 armed to the teeth Greeks, and they were successful, and they were able to defeat them. So going forward here, soon after that, Matthias, the father, died. And his son, his oldest son, whose name Judah the Maccabee, Judah the Hammer, was raised up to, to lead the revolt. And he was able to throw off the tyrannical hold of Antiochus. Some uh, scholars believe that God spoke of the great victory to give them hope in the prophecy of Zechariah. If you'd like to turn to Zechariah chapter 9, verses 12 through 13. And I know because of the brevity of time, I'll just go ahead and share that scripture. Return to the stronghold, you prisoners with hope. Notice that word. You prisoners, but you have hope. This day I declare to you that I will grant you double reparations. For I have bent Yehuda, Judah, as my bow. Who's speaking here but Adonai himself? And I have made Ephraim its arrow. I will rouse your sons, Zion, and make you like warrior's sword against your sons, O Greece. So going forward here. On Kislev uh, 25, that's a Hebrew month, which falls in the month of December, in 165 before the common area, era, that eventually these Jewish revolters recaptured the temple in Jerusalem. Antiochus had viciously desecrated that temple. He had sacrificed pigs on the holy altar to Zeus and other Greek deities, and he poured uh, pig's broth all over the sacred scrolls and vessels. Can you imagine someone coming to a, into a synagogue and all, there to offer a uh, pig on an altar if that, if that synagogue had an altar there and then to take the broth of the pigs and take the Torah and roll it out and then just pour all the pig's broth upon it. That's what he did. So going forward here, he defiled all these things. This was a prophetic picture of what is described in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27 and Matthew uh, 24, 15. It is as the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place. If you could turn to Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. Daniel 9, 27. And I'll share that with us at this time. He will make a strong covenant with the leaders for one week of years. Who's that speaking of? But the anti-Messiah or the Antichrist. For a half a week, he will put a stop to the sacrifice and the grain offering, and on the wing of the de detestable things, the desolator will come and continue until the already de decreed destruction is poured out on the desolator. 
Now going on to Daniel chapter 9, verse 31. See, Daniel speaks of this demonic inspired individual three times. In Daniel eleven thirty one, it goes on to say this. The armed forces will come at his order. Whose order? The Antichrist. And he will profane the sanctuary and the fortress. They will abolish the daily burnt offering and set up an abomination that causes desolation. And then lastly, in Daniel 12, chapter 12, verse 11. From that time to the regular burnt offering is, is taken away. And the abomination that causes desolation is set up. There will be 1,290 days. Now that's not according to the Gregorian calendar, which is 365. But God's Hebrew calendar, which has 360 days. And lastly, Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. And who's speaking here? Yeshua is speaking to his Talmudim, his disciples, and he says these words. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, spoken about through the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand the illusion. Who's speaking here but Yeshua? Who is he quoting but Daniel? So going forward here, not only did uh, Antiochus do these evil things, but he also did more. The near Talmud, which is the eternal life, the menorah that perpetually burned in the holy place, had been snuffed out. Now, going forward, that is the temple as it was being cleansed, they found after Judah Maccabee was able to reclaim the city of Jerusalem and the holy temple, they were searched then for enough consecrated oil was found only to last one day. As they rededicated the temple to God in faith by lighting what? The menorah. In the holy place, they marveled as the oil lasted and let the light kept burning for seven more days. Why? Because it was a very task and time-consuming time to purify that oil time and time again. Because what you bring before the Lord needs to be holy and pure. And so the Lord blessed this oil. So seven days had passed until more holy oil could be made. And this is how they celebrated their victory. They also celebrated for eight days to commemorate what? The Feast of Sukkot. Tabernacles, why? Because they were denied for more than three years to celebrate the Feasts of the Lord. Which takes place, Tabernacles, in either September or October. Sukkot has a ceremony where the great menorahs are lit in the courtyard of the temple. And that's where Yeshua said, I am the light of the world. The servant of the most high God proclaimed himself to all the Jewish people that he's the way, the truth, and the light. And no one comes to the Father but through him.
going forward here. Now, Hanukkah, which means dedication, is celebrated for eight days by lighting candles and retelling the story of how God miraculously delivered his people from tyranny and also caused the oil to supernaturally last for eight days. Remember, if there had not been no Hanukkah, then there could have not been a miraculous birth of Messiah in Bethlehem to a young virgin woman named Miriam Mary and to her husband, whose name is Joseph. Because the Jewish people and their identity as a people would have been completely destroyed if Matthias and Judah the Maccabee did not arise for such a time as that. Now going forward, we know that Yeshua went to Jerusalem to celebrate Hanukkah from a verse in the Brit Hadashah. You know, in the Tanakh, it never mentions the celebration, the Feast of Dedication, or Hanukkah. It's alluded to. See, 1st and 2nd Maccabees is not part of the Jewish canon. That's a historical document. What took place is true, but that's a historical document. Isn't it amazing that God the Father, through his son Yeshua, by the power and the anointing of the Ruach HaKodesh, would give us an illustration and the evidence of Jewish people celebrating Hanukkah in one book. And that book is the book of Yohanan John. The Brit Hadashah, the new covenant that God had promised through Jeremiah chapter 31 would reveal that Yeshua fulfilled all the feasts of the Lord. Going forward here. We know that Yeshua went to Jerusalem to celebrate Hanukkah from the verse in the Brit Hadashah, the new covenant in Yohanan. Turn with me now to John chapter 10, verse 22. I have a little bit more commentary here. Proverbs 20, 27 tells us that the spirit of man is in the candle, the candle of the Lord. So nine candles can remind us to ask the Ruach HaKodesh, the spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit, to rekindle what? The nine fruits of the Ruach HaKodesh in us with his holy fire. These fruits are found where? But in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 23. They are what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, and humility, and self-control. The shamash, which is usually the raised candle in the Hanukkah, represents Messiah Yeshua, which is lit, lit first and then allowed to light the other candles. It is a symbolic symbol of Yeshua, who is a servant of the Lord. By his own words and deeds, he taught us, if you want to be what great in God's kingdom, you must do what? Become the servant of all. To walk in humility with your brothers and sisters. May we now rededicate our lives 
For in God's word it says that we're the temple of God's spirit. To be holy for his glory. As found in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. And to be light in a dark world. Holding the word of God in life. Philippians 2.15. You're already there. In Yohanan John chapter 10 beginning at verse 22. Then came, in most translation, the Feast of Dedication. Then came Hanukkah in Jerusalem, And it was winter and Yeshua was walking around inside the temple area in Shlomo, Solomon's colonnade. Not only did Yeshua celebrate Hanukkah, but he observed it in the same temple that had been cleansed and rededicated just a few generations earlier under the Maccabees. See, that was God's provision. And just think about that. Whose uh, colonnade was that? Solomon's colonnade. That was Yeshua's great, 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 you fill in the blanks, grandfather. Going forward here. Hanukkah is a beautiful holy day celebrated by Jewish people. Many are aware of the history of Hanukkah. Yet some may know the scripture well enough to know that this holy day is prophetically mentioned in the book of Daniel. This is most surprising to both Jewish and Christian communities in that the clearest mention of Hanukkah in the Bible is in the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament. So I, I have you think back to the time. A young Jewish boy being myself, 12 years old, recently come to Messiah, and begins to read the book of Yohanan John. And think of this is going to be a very, very anti-Semitic book. But then I fall upon that word, feast of dedication. And then I have to reread it, reread it, reread it. And then finally, the Spirit speaks to my heart and says, Hanukkah. And at that moment in my life, I'm able to embrace Yeshua as my Messiah even more. Going forward here. People who normally celebrate this holy day, the Jewish people, have a scant biblical references for it. Yet the people who do not normally celebrate Hanukkah have the most explicit reference to it in the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament. This brings up the first reason believers in Messiah might want to understand and celebrate this holy day. The Messiah celebrated. He gave his uh, good seal that this is approved for us to participate in. And don't you want to do everything that, that Yeshua says that we can do? Those of you who have been grafted into the commonwealth of Israel, these feasts of the Lord are yours also. So you can understand your Messiah even a greater way. Going forward here. Not only did Yeshua celebrate Hanukkah, but he observed it in the same temple that had been cleansed and rededicated just a few generations earlier on the Maccabees. Jewish scholars teach that there is a deep spiritual meaning in Hanukkah. As the editors of the popular art scroll, Mezrah series state, this is their words. Then the light is kindled to give what inspiration? For the light of the Messiah, that's their words must burn brightly in our hearts. That's from their title of Hanukkah Mezzarora, publications from Brooklyn, Brooklyn, New York. 
This is a logical conclusion because Hanukkah is a celebration of deliverance. It also became a time to express the messianic hope. Just as the Maccabees were used by God to redeem Israel, the greatest redeemer, the Messiah, would also come at this time. Think about in the future. What does the book of Revelation say? That when the Jewish people have entered into a covenant with this false anti-Messiah, and then after three and a half years, He's going to do what? He's going to stop the morning and the evening sacrifices. Today, if we go to Israel, there's no temple. But one day in the future, there will be, because all of God's words shall be revealed and fulfilled just as he said it would be. Going forward here. There is a logical conclusion because Hanukkah is a celebration of deliverance, but it also has become a time to express messianic hope. Just as the Maccabees were used by God to redeem Israel, the greatest redeemer, the Messiah, will also have to come at this time, his second coming. Now, with this understanding, that's after the seven-year tribulation, we more fully appreciate the scenes that unfold as Yeshua celebrated the feast of Hanukkah over 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. It was in the midst of the festivities that Yeshua was approached by some of the rabbis who asked a simple question. How much, how much longer are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us publicly. That's Yohanan John 10.24. The answer to this very question is very appropriate. It's contained in Yeshua's Hanukkah message and clearly reiterates his claim and proofs of his messiahship. Going forward in Yohanan 10.25, Yeshua answered them, I've already told you, but you do not trust me. See, it's all about trust, is it not? To have a really deep relationship with anyone, you must build trust with them. The works I do in my Father's name testify on my behalf. But the reason you don't trust is that you are not included among my sheep. But who was Yeshua sent to? To the lost sheep of the house of Israel. For us to admit that we're lost without a hope, is that not a humble status that we need to even to approach Messiah? Absolutely. Going forward here. He said these words, My sheep listen to my voice. He's the good shepherd. And I recognize them. Notice that he knows them intimately. Because they put their full trust in him. They're no longer trusting in themselves. They follow me and I give them what? Eternal life. They will absolutely never be destroyed. Hear that? We're not going to face eternal destruction separated from God the Father through the Son by the power of the Ruach HaKodesh. And no one can do what? No one can snatch them from my hands. Who's speaking here but Yeshua? And who is he speaking to? To the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But they don't see themselves as being lost because they believe that on 
Abraham's coattails. We have access to the Father. Let's go forward here. No one can snatch them from my hands. My Father gave them to me. Notice that. His sheep are brought to Yeshua by the Father. He brings us into relationship. Is greater than all. My Father who gave them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them from my Father's hands. I and the Father are one. And this is where my Jewish brothers who have a veil over their eyes start to become unglued. Once again, the Judean leaders picked up rocks in order to do what? To stone him. Yeshua answered them, You have seen me do many good deeds that reflect the Father's power. Just as Joseph we heard today on the interpretation of dreams, Yeshua was humble and he gave all glory and honor and praise to the Father. The works that the Lord calls us to do while we live on this earth, are we giving glory and honor and praise to the Father? Which is Drew? Are we saying that, oh, now come follow me. I'm some great person. Go forward here. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Once again, the Judean leaders picked up the rocks to order to stone him. Yeshua answered them, you have seen me do many good deeds and reflect that reflect the Father's power. For which one of these deeds are you stoning me? The Judean leaders replied, We're not stoning you for any good deed, but for the blasphemy, because you are only a man, and you're making yourself out to be a god. Hebrew Elohim. Yeshua answered them, Is it not written in your Torah? I have said, you people, Elohim, who's speaking there but Abba, Father God, where's the passage from? From Psalms, Tehillim in the Hebrew, 82.6. If he called, now he's addressing the Father, if he called Elohim the people to whom the word of Elohim was addressed and the Tanakh cannot be, ro be broken, then you're telling me the one whom the Father has set apart as holy and sent in the world, you are now committing blasphemy. Just because I said I'm a son of Elohim? So he's asking them to think. Think of what the prophets had said. Don't go by your own intellect, but allow the spirit of the living God to speak to you now. Going forward here. I am not doing the deeds that reflect my Father's power. If I'm not doing deeds that reflect my Father's power, then he says these words to him, then don't trust me. But if I am, even if you don't trust me, trust the deeds. Sometimes we, got it, we get caught up in someone's personality or the way they look. But the Lord is still using them. Even in their frailty, God still uses us. Going forward here. 
If I'm not doing the deeds that reflect my Father's power, don't trust me. But if I am, then even if you don't trust me, trust the deeds so that you may what? Understand once and for all, that is the Father is united with me and I am united with the Father. How could they be unified with the Father themselves? But only through the Son who's standing before them. Going forward here. One more time they tried to arrest him, but he slipped out of their hands. Yeshua went off again beyond the Yarden. When Yohanan, John, had been immersing at first and stayed there, and many people came to him and said, Yohanan, John, performed no miracles, but everything Yohanan said about this man was true, and many people put their trust in Yeshua. And who are these people? But the Jewish people that were living in the land at that day. If the miracle of Hanukkah hadn't taken place, then Yeshua could have not come. How many times has Hasatan tried from generation to generation to destroy the Jewish people? Think of today. If there was not the, the, the state of Israel, then Messiah can't come back. If there's not a third temple erected, during the Great Tribulation, Messiah cannot come back. If Hasatan could cause every person on this earth to kill every Jewish person, then Yeshua could never return. What does Hasatan want to do? He wants to destroy God's prophetic word and truth. Let's go forward here. Hanukkah recalls a military victory for Israel, and the implications now are vast. If Antiochus had succeeded in his campaign of anti-Semitism and destruction, there would have been no Jews by the time of Yeshua's birth. If the miracle of Hanukkah had not taken place, then Yeshua could not have come. Certainly all believers in Yeshua have important reasons to remember the Feast of Dedication Hanukkah because Yeshua, our Messiah, our Deliverer, has come. And that promise of him coming back for his bride is true. He's coming for a bride without spot or wrinkle from both Jews and Gentiles, one and Messiah. Going forward here. The prophetic fulfillment, and this is what we'll end on. As with all biblical holidays, there are spiritual lessons to be learned from Hanukkah, light, courage, and faith. This festival commemorates a time when the true worship of God was restored in Jerusalem. The temple in Jerusalem no longer stands today. The heart of each true believer in Yeshua Messiah and Savior is the literal living temple of the God Most High, where the Spirit of God dwells. Too often believers endanger their cleanliness of their own personal temples by allowing idolatry into their lives. So this is a time and season where we ask the Spirit of living God to examine our hearts, our minds, our souls. Is there anything that we're allowing in these holy temples, which are our own bodies, where the, where the Spirit of the living God dwells? If there's anything, we need to remove it. 
and rededicate that to the Lord God himself. We need the exhortation from Shaul in the scripture in 1 Corinthians 16, 19, and 20. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Ruach HaKodesh who lives inside you, whom you receive from God? The fact is, you don't belong to yourselves anymore. You were bought at a price so that your bodies will do what? Will glorify God. With his own precious blood, he's cleansed you from unrighteousness. May we indeed be temples of Messiah Yeshua, cleansed and dedicated to our master's love. Hag Sameach, Happy Hanukkah, Shabbat Shalom.